behalf of the entire church, just want to thank you for joining us this morning and hopefully get a chance to meet you maybe after the meeting here. Um, again, just thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I guess one announcement would be at the end of this meeting, you can see there's some coffee and there's going to be some desserts back there. And so please feel free to hang out, um, enjoy some coffee, enjoy some of those pastries as well before you go about your day and do all the things that you've planned for Christmas Eve. So just grateful to God that you're here. Um, Let me pray, and then we're going to jump into the message. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning again. We thank you and just ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us. Lord, that you would uh, speak directly to us, that we would hear your voice through your word that you've breathed out into holy men and recorded for us in uh, the Bible. And so, Lord, help us to just grow in our love for you, our love for others, and that we might honor you in all that we say and do today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I noticed a thing. So this morning we have all of our uh, kids in the service. And if you're new here, that's, that's not something we typically do during this part of it. And so, kids, if this is you and you're staying, there's no children's ministry, welcome um, and I also noticed that when these kids were walking in, some of them brought some books. And so mom and dad probably said, okay, we've got to bring something for you to at least look at so you don't make too big of a scene. But I just want you to know I brought a book today as well. And I so I shared it already. And it's called Full Moon Rising. How many of you have ever read this book? Kids? Okay, so we've got a good portion. Well, what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to read this story to us as a church. And you're going to see slides up here. Um, and... And you're going to see why I'm reading this in, in just a second and how it sort of uh, applies to our Christmas celebration as well. But this is my favorite kid's book. So if you don't have this, uh, one of the reasons we do our annual book sale, honestly, there's a lot of books I want to get in everybody's hands. But I want to get this book into every parent in our church's hands so that their kids grow up. They, they know this story. And so we're going to read it this morning in a way to introduce the message. And so it just begins, you'll notice, there's a kid kind of looking out his window. And he says this, Dear God, I heard a cosmic story, and I wondered if it's true. The moon was stealing glory, and this is what he'd do. He bragged each night that his great might could make the darkness flee. And like a kite, he scaled the heights and said, hey, look at me. The pompous moon would soon, would would only croon the songs that praised his name. He hoped that soon the cosmic tunes would bring him greater fame. It's really strange, but he could change his shape throughout the year. His face would change and then rearrange and sometimes disappear. He loved the thought that astronauts had danced across his face and cosmonauts and monkey knots would visit him in space. He bragged that he could cause the sea to rise and swell each day. Then all could see how mightily he'd pull the waves away. He boasts away and loved to say, I am the greatest light. Until one day, a piercing ray 
showed him a shocking sight. He saw his pride and then he cried for all that he had done. For he had lied when he denied his light came from the sun. So now each night a new delight is what he loves the most. Reflecting light with all his might, the sun is now his boast. So God, I pray for grace each day to find the joy that's true in all my days and all my ways in making much of you. So it's a short little story. It's my favorite one. I've already shared that with you, but it's one I highly recommend. Um, And the reason I'm reading it today is because I think all of us, this is kind of stuff I tell my kids as they were growing up as I'd read it to them, all of us, like the moon in this story, just have those moments in our lives where we tend to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, don't we? It's in those moments when we take great pride in our accomplishments or our abilities and forget that who we are and all that we have is really just a gift that God has given to us. We might not always boast out loud in front of others like the moon, but again, if we're honest, secretly in our hearts, there's those moments that we take great pride in ourselves where we do scream, I am the greatest light, or I am the greatest parent, or I am the greatest student, or I am the greatest boss, or I am the greatest employee, or whatever it is that you like the most about yourself that you tend to be proud about sometimes shows itself, maybe in that internal scream. Sometimes it does come out of our mouths. Sometimes it just looks like a boastful smile at times. The truth is, none of us are the greatest at anything, are we? We are who we are by the grace of God. He gives us gifts. He gives us abilities for our good and ultimately for his glory. In our text this morning, we're going to read about John the Baptist, who was the exact opposite of the moon that I read about in Full Moon Rising. He was a humble man who had been called by God and gifted by God for a specific task to kind of prepare the way for Christ to be received by the world. And what we're going to learn from our text this morning, which is John three twenty-two through 36, is this truth. Since Jesus is above all things, he must increase and we must decrease. Since Jesus is above all things, he must increase and we must decrease. And now we're going to look at that, that, that one point or that truth by Take a look at three points this morning that kind of help us understand who's Jesus. What, what makes him above all things? In the first point, we learned this. Jesus is the bridegroom. Jesus and his disciples were in the Judean countryside baptizing people. And at the same time, from this text, we learn that John the Baptist and, and his disciples were also in that same region. And so they were maybe two to three miles apart, and there, there was just a lot of ministry going on. People were going to John, learning from John, and then as Jesus was on the scene with his disciples, people were beginning to go to him. And everyone was fine with this 
except John's disciples. Look at me at verse 25 in chapter 3 of John. It says, Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and they said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Now, this wasn't just a simple observation of, hey, we're doing our thing. It looks like somebody else is doing their thing over there. This, this, this wasn't an observation. This was them announcing, hey, I have a problem with something. We've been doing this. Now this guy who was with you is now with his disciples, and they seem to be doing something similar. And if you notice, he says, and all are going with him. And so it was a, it was a problem for them. Before Jesus began his earthly ministry, John the Baptist was preparing the world to receive Jesus. People were coming from all over the region to listen to John as he prepared them for Christ. But things began to change when Jesus came on the scene. And these disciples of John had forgotten what John was pointing them to. Not to himself, but to Jesus. They had forgotten what John said about Jesus when he saw Jesus for the first time. And here's what John said. This is from John chapter 1, verse 29. It said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Jesus is not just another man with another ministry. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He is the Son of God. But this was all sort of lost on John's disciples here in our text as they were kind of blinded by their pride. What, what they saw and what they were bringing to John's attention was that their popularity was sort of fading away. But what John saw was a need for himself, actually, to fade away. In John 3, 27, it says this. John answered his disciples, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John knew that who, John knew that who he was and all that he had was a gift from God. His life, his ministry, the crowds, everything that he had up to that point was all a gift from God. There is 
only one God, and John knows, and he's trying to teach his discipleship, his disciples here, that, that he's not the one, that he's not God. He's perfectly content to receive his role from God as the friend of the bridegroom. Because Jesus, he tells us, is the bridegroom and not John. The friend of the bridegroom is what we might call the best man. His role, the best man, in ancient Jewish weddings was to sort of organize and administrate all the details, making sure the bride and the bridegroom had all that they needed to be joined together in a wedding ceremony that kind of goes off without a problem. The friend, his role was to delight in the bridegroom. And the bride coming together. And this is exactly what John did in preparation for moments like this. He was preparing the way for the world to see Christ and in a way receive Christ as the bridegroom. He was the best man, so to speak. And and if you've ever been to a wedding, and I've had the opportunity to go to a, a number of weddings, not many people go to weddings to see the best man. You know what I mean? Like, you're aware of the best man because he does have a role. He's got to give a speech. And so being a pastor, one of the things I try to do to all the best men that I get to interact with, and I call them best women as well. But So as I talk to them, they have two important things to do on a wedding day, or one each. They have to give a speech. They have to stand up in front of everybody. And I just tell them this one thing. I, well, I ask them first, did you write it down? And about 50% of the men will say, no, it's all up here. And I just tell them, you're in trouble. Because my observation, this is from the cheap seats, and I've been to a lot of weddings, is if you're the best man, and this might be preparatory for some of you guys because you're going to be it one day, your role when you get up there and you give that speech is for it to be kind of brief and amazing and forgettable. You don't ever want to be remembered like, yeah, I remember the best man's speech. If 10 years from now or a year from now or six weeks from the time you gave your speech, you did not accomplish what you should have accomplished, meaning it's not about you. It's about the bride and the bridegroom. I've been to some weddings where I still remember the best man's speech. It's not what you want. And what John is trying to say here is, I'm not the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. I'm not the one that you're supposed to remember. I'm not the one that everybody's supposed to be drawing their attention to. And that's why he says, Jesus is the bridegroom. And he says, I must decrease and he must increase. Jesus is the bridegroom. And he brings his bride to the Father and the church is the bride. In point number two, we learn that Jesus is from heaven. Verse 31 says this, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. And so there's no one greater than Jesus Christ. The logic here is quite simple. Jesus was sent into this world from above, from heaven, from the very presence of God. Therefore, he is above all things. 
John is from earth, and he speaks in an earthly way, meaning he's, he's got some real limitations. He's able to communicate what he's been called to communicate from his earthly perspective. But Jesus, who is above all things, who comes to us from heaven, he actually speaks the very words of God. He's not limited like John was limited. Jesus comes from above. He comes from heaven. His testimony about himself and the kingdom of God, it's, it's not a secondhand knowledge. It's not like he had to go get it from somebody else and then he comes to earth and then he tells us about it. It, it comes from him because he is God, God the Son, and he's true and he's great. In John 30, verse 34, he says this, for he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Throughout history, God has spoken to his people through many different men who, all, who had all received a measure of the Spirit for the task that God had called them to. But Jesus was given the Spirit without measure to come into the world as light shining in darkness to save all who would believe in him. The fullness of God dwelt in Jesus as he walked the earth, proclaiming the glory of God to the world that was blinded by its sins. The fullness of God dwelt in Jesus as he hung on the cross and died for us. And so all of this in the Gospel of John is, is really getting us to think about this one question is, who is Jesus? And then I would add a question to it is, do you believe him? Do you believe his testimony? Do you believe he came from heaven? Do you believe he's the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world? Do you believe he's the Son of God who was sent by God the Father from heaven to earth? And then this question from this particular point is, do you really believe he's above all things? And then what does that look like in your life today? Or where does he fit into your life today? One of the reasons I love being a part of the body of Christ, and I love celebrations like this for us as a church, to have family and friends come and join together, and there's all these Christmas traditions that we do, but, but I love to be able to just stop for a moment and quiet our hearts and just think about these truths, because a lot of stuff happens, a lot of fun stuff, a lot of traditions. But Christ alone is above all things. And the purpose behind that is for us to think about that. Not just on Sundays like this, but when, when we walk out of here and we live life on Tuesday. And we think about, is Christ above all things in my life? Where does he rank? Since Jesus is above all things, we learn from John here that he must increase and we must decrease. And this leads us to our final point where we learn that Jesus has been given all things. Verse 35 says, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. In this verse, we, we catch a glimpse of what the relationship between God the Father and God the Son sort of looks like. It's marked by a genuine and I would say passionate love for one another. 
the father loves the son. He loves Jesus. And we see in this verse here that he's given all things to him. There's, there's nothing that God the father has held back from God the son. In Matthew 11, verses 27 through 30, it says, All things, this is Jesus speaking, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Don't you love those words? Don't you love what he, what he communicates here to us? He's just, just teaching us here. The Father has handed over all things to Jesus. No one can know the Father except the Son and anyone to whom Jesus chooses to reveal the Father to. And so there's this amazing thing going on. The Father sends the Son, and the Father gives all things over to his Son. And we can't know the Father unless, unless the Son chooses to, to allow for us to know the Father. And, and what we see here is we have such a great Savior in Jesus Christ that, that he takes all these things that have been handed over to him, and he doesn't hide them. He's not taking this and concealing it. He's, he's actually inviting us. He's inviting the world to come, to come to him, that, that we might receive rest from him, that, that we might enter into a right relationship with him where we might actually know the Father by faith alone in Christ alone. And so we have a good, kind, generous God who kindly and lovingly sent his son Jesus into this world to live in our place and to die on a cross to save us. And then we have a kind, loving, generous Savior who's eager to reveal the Father to us, who invites us to come to him that we might walk in this right relationship with God through faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And this is a gift. This is a gift that he gives to all inviting all of us to come. But, but what we learn here is it's a gift that, that we have to receive. It's, it's one where we have to trust that God is who he says he is and that Jesus is who he says he is, that when we come, we actually will receive these things. In verse 36, he says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. The life of every person, from Adam to the very last person born even today, and whoever will be born before Christ returns, is determined by his or her personal response to Jesus. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died in your place, taking your punishment for the sins, your sins, then he says, you receive eternal life. What an amazing gift exchange, isn't it? He takes our sins. He takes the punishment we deserve. He exhausts the wrath of God. That wrath was supposed to be for us. He dies our death 
And then, in exchange, gives us his righteousness and his reward that we might enjoy the forgiveness of sins. That we might enjoy peace with God. That we might be able to celebrate and sing songs like we sang this morning and are going to sing in just a second. He did that for us. And it's all a gift. It's an amazing exchange. But he tells us it's one that you got to believe. If you believe, you receive this. Now, if you've not made this amazing exchange, what, what I'd like to do this morning is just encourage you. Encourage you that in those words that I read earlier, he says, come to me and you'll find rest. We all know what it's like to be heavy laden. To be burdened by our sin. To be burdened by our inability to be, in the sense, good enough. And what Jesus does is he just, he just extends this invitation. Come and find rest. And I would encourage you, if you haven't trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, to trust him. To believe in him and to receive this good news and to receive this forgiveness of sins and to receive his righteousness, that you might have a right and real relationship with God and the hope of eternal life. Now, if you've already received this gift from God, then I'd encourage you this morning to rejoice in it. I love singing that song, rejoice, rejoice, over and over again, because we see throughout Scripture, what's our response to such an amazing gift as God giving us his Son? And it's one of worship. It's one of gratefulness. It's one of finding great joy in God's amazing grace. If I could have the band join me in closing. We're going to close with, with singing. But as they join me, I do have a couple of questions I want to share. And the ushers are going to come down and, and light your candles. But I want you to think about this. And so as John encountered Christ and the things going on, he, he, he said this. He said, He must increase and I must decrease. And so as we think about Jesus this morning specifically, coming into this world to save us, and and we're confronted by who he is, the question kind of that emerges from this text is, as I think about it, would be this. Where does Jesus need to increase in your life today? And where do you need to, to sort of decrease Meaning, how can you make much about him and make it less about yourself? Or where do you really need to just trust him right now? You know what that's like, those moments where, where you've been trying to do things and we want to control stuff because we think we're actually in charge, but we're not. And so one of the ways that I think it looks like him increasing and us decreasing is is walking by faith and trusting that he ultimately is in control and believing in his goodness and then picking up our crosses and following him. See, let's not be like the moon and think we're the greatest light because we're not. But instead, let us, by faith, look to Jesus. Let's trust Jesus. Let's follow Jesus. And let's close our time this morning by worshiping him. Would you please stand?